Good morning. Good morning. I am delighted to be here with you today. Um, and just grateful for an opportunity to open the Word of God with you. You still believe in the Bible? Yep. Okay, take your Bible if you would. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I have to admit, I was with Allie on Christmas Eve. We were sitting right over here, and and Dave um, held the baby, and then he started walking around with the baby. And, And he walked over here, and I don't know if you noticed, but he put his foot like right on the edge. And I was sitting right there and kind of leaning forward thinking, I am not going to catch Dave. He's ginormous, you know, but maybe I could catch the baby, you know. Anyway, Dave uh, took off yesterday. He's going to be with family, so and he allowed me to come and share with you today. Uh, I just want to let you know, Dave and I, over the past couple of years, have become friends, good friends. We meet together pretty regularly, and he shared with me, occasionally even asked my opinion, um, but he he's just a sweet brother. I, I rejoice again in God's leading him here, and I'm grateful that he's my pastor as, as well as yours. So anyway, he's, he's a blessing in my life. So we're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. You probably see it, and I want to talk to you about one verse in the Word of God. Uh, before that... Um, uh, a little family uh, business. I, you know, there are so many times that when every time I walk into this building now. By, by the way, we are we are missionaries supported by the church in these days. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so we're not here all the time. I spend a lot of time in Africa and Asia uh, teaching pastors and evangelists. But so we're not here all the time. But when, every time I walk into this place, uh, I'm, my mind is just flooded with good memories and. I still believe that the church is the hope of the world. Um, I'm grateful for what God is doing in this place. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not thrilled about a building. I'm thrilled about you and your life. And it's been such a blessing for Carolyn and me to see the growth of God's people in these days and seeing some of the things that you are doing and how you're serving the Lord. It just, you know, I, we just rejoice in the family of God. And, we, and we're, we're glad that God has arranged it so that we can stay and be part, continue to be part of this family. Hey, we just couldn't imagine going anywhere else. And so we're grateful to be here. And I'm thankful to occasionally be able to come up and share with you. Um, over the years, there have been so many, so many joys, so many rich blessings, so many times when I thought, God, thank you for bringing me here. And thank you for these people. And so many times when I've seen the grace of God in the lives of his people, and so many times when I've seen, well, God's people are sacrificing and giving, and, and man, I, I've just been blessed again and again. And, and, of course, the truth is, over the years, there are dark times. There are times of struggle and pain, uh, particularly when we say tragedy strikes. Uh, and today I'm thinking about... Uh, a night a long time ago, what was it, 2004, I think, in September, we were sound asleep, and we got a phone call in the middle of the night, which is never good. And the voice on the other end said, Scott Mitchell is dead. Uh, now, for those many of you who don't know Scott, Scott was a, a good friend of mine, a good friend of so many of us. He was a pastor on our staff, deeply being used by God in this place. We loved Scott. And... And I was like, you've got to be kidding. I don't, I don't believe it, you know. And so we got up and we went over to the Balfe's home, which is um, Scott's wife, Connie's parents. And, 
And I'll never forget that night. It was like three in the morning. I walked into this house, and there was already a group of people assembled. And Connie was sitting in a chair, and she was stunned, of course, because it had just happened. And I knelt beside her, and, and then she began to talk about her faith and her trust in her God, even in this. And I just listened. I just, I thought, oh my, you know, this is what faith does in the darkest times. This is why the Bible says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I was, frankly, deeply impressed in that moment. But I couldn't help but think, what will happen in the days ahead? Because if you know the story, and if you don't know the story, by the way, you you should find somebody who does. Um, The circumstances of Scott's death were I don't know how to say it. They're like the worst ever possible. And and I thought, well, how will this woman of faith do? And what about her kids? And how will she do? And I want to say to you that uh, one of the great privileges of being a pastor is to watch God's people believe and stand. And for the past 11 years, Connie has been, to, to me, uh, one of the richest examples of a woman of faith and trust in God. In some of the darkest challenges of life, she stood firm. And she was kind of shy, and she didn't really ever want to get in front, and then God started putting her in places where she needed to tell her story, and, and she just submitted and cooperated, and, and she has influenced so many people over these past 10 or 11 years. And, and then I just wanted to tell you about four months, I think it was four or five months ago, she was struck with brain cancer. And went down really quick. On Christmas morning, early in the morning, she passed into the presence of Christ. And she's home safe. And we're grateful to God for his faithfulness to her. She will always remember Connie and Scott. I I tell that little bit to you for a couple of reasons. One is I just wanted to let you know, because I know many of you, you know Connie, right? You know, and you love her, and so you needed to know that. And the other thing was that there is going to be a memorial service, a celebration of her life and faith and Savior. That's January 9th, Saturday, January 9th, 11 o'clock, right, right here in this place. And you are invited. It will be, I believe it will be a rich and encouraging time. And but I want to ask one other thing. I want to tell you about the memorial service, but I also wanted to ask you as God's people, I want to ask you, would you pray for this family? We say this kind of thing a lot. Um, but I want to particularly ask you to pray for this family because they have, you know, I don't know about you, but occasionally I'm just struck by the fact that some of God's people seem to be challenged with greater darkness and problems and difficulties than others. Have you noticed this? It's not even. And I'm kind of glad it's not even. But, but I'm always astounded by how some people have, seems like tragedy after tragedy in their life and and. And then to watch them stand firm and love their God and rejoice in him is sweet. But I want to ask you particularly to pray for the kids. I want to ask you to pray for Jonathan and Sadie and her family and also Chad. And and particularly I want to ask you also if you would pray for Fred and Barbara Balaf. I, I, many of you, who are, particularly if you're new, you might not know Fred and Barbara Balaf. They're, they're some, of the, some of the pillars of the church who serve faithfully behind the scenes and and you'd never know, but, you know, all the stuff that they do and have done for years and years and years. But we love them, and this is really hard. So I just ask you, as God's people, you keep a prayer list. 
you, you write things down and to remind you to pray. Can I ask you, as one of the shepherds around here, to pray for this family? Is that, is that, I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray. Would you do that? Would you do that? Okay. Good enough. Thank you. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14 is our text this morning. Oh, I saw Wade also. Wade Mitchell in the first service. Um, Pray for Wade too. He's sharing this burden along with all the rest of the family. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. One verse I want to talk to you about. And some of you who know this verse, um, <clears throat> you, will, you will think, yeah, this is a treasure that God's used in my life. And other, others of you might think, well, I don't read Hebrews very much. I mean, it's not really a common book we spend very much time in. Unfortunately, that's true. Um, but this is a verse that God has deeply used in my life to change my life. And I want to tell you, you know, this is not, those are not idle words. It used this verse, this one verse, to radically help me to understand so many things about my salvation, about the cross, about what God had done, about His amazing grace, about everything. A little, little background for me, and many of you, of course, know my story, but I grew up in a strong Christian home. Yeah, I had one of the great privileges of going to a good Bible teaching church and, and having a family of believers. And, but when I was a young boy, I want to tell you, I was not a good little boy. I was a good little boy outwardly, but not inwardly. You know what I mean? You know, I lived two or three different lives and, and I never ever felt secure, even though I walked the aisle a couple times and I even got baptized more than once because I was certain the first one didn't take at all. And anyway, so I received Christ again and again and again because I knew I was a big sinner. And I never ever felt secure. I never, even growing up, I never felt like heaven was certainly my home, that I was destined for glory. That, I mean, people talked like that and I just didn't get it. I just, I didn't believe it. And because I looked at my life and I saw an awful lot of weaknesses and I knew my own thoughts and all the stuff that was going on up here. And it was a lot of bad stuff. A lot of little boy sinful stuff. And then as I grew a little bit older, the little boy sinful stuff turned into Older boy sinful stuff. And then when I became a young man, it turned into a young man sinful stuff. And I never ever felt confident or secure. I never ever felt like, I'm in. I'm good. And I know he loves me and I know I'm forgiven. I just never ever felt it. I can remember so many nights laying my head down on my pillow at night and saying, God, if I die tonight in my sleep, will you take me home? And I repented again. And then I repented about not repenting more. And it goes on and on like that. And God in His amazing grace reached down out of heaven when I was about 20 and He rescued me. And He brought me home to Himself and The story of the prodigal son has always enthralled me because I think that's my story. He he brought me back to himself and and he sent me back for another attempt at Bible college. I flunked out my first attempt at Bible college. (laughs) Another story. Um, But anyway, I woke up one morning and I realized I've become a pastor. I don't know if you believe in that God has a sense of humor. I do. 
Oh, I really do. And I think one of, I'm one of the greatest examples of the sense of humor of God, that God would bring somebody like me into the ministry. But he did. And, and then I began to realize that I've got a lot of stuff to deal with. And, you know, and I, I don't know the book very well. I don't know the Savior very well. And now I'm a pastor. Yeah. And, and God called Carolyn and me into working with junior high kids, uh, middle school students. And we had a lot of fun doing that. But then some parents came to me one day, I, I'll never forget this, and they came to me and said, we've listened to you teach our kids the Bible, and we think God has given to you a gift of teaching. And I said, really? <laughs> and they said, yes, and so what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to start an adult Sunday school class and teach adults the Bible. And I said, really? And But I said, okay, so I would. And then I discovered that I didn't know how to teach the Bible, and I better study it for myself. And so I started digging into the Word of God, and then I began to realize that so much of what I thought I knew about the Word of God was secondhand truth. You know what I mean by that? Like I got it from somebody else. And I realized it doesn't seem to teach all of that of what I got from other people. And I started recognizing that being in the Word of God will recalibrate my brain and help me to begin thinking right. And I need to understand God's Word as it really is, not as how somebody else gives it to me. And one of the places I discovered was the 10th chapter of Hebrews. And because many people had told me over the years that the 6th chapter of Hebrews and the 10th chapter of Hebrews teach the insecurity of the believer. Did you hear what I just said? They, it, they said it teaches that you really can't be secure in your salvation. And I started saying, well, that's who I was. And so I started looking at it and said, is that really what it teaches? And then I began to realize, no, 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 no. Actually, those two chapters teach the great security of the believer. And I came to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. And this one verse summarizes the solid foundation of why I have hope and confidence and joy and peace. For those of you who know Hebrews, Hebrews was written, uh, we're not sure who wrote it, but it was written primarily to the Jewish people, the Hebrews. And it was written for the purpose of helping them to understand that Jesus Christ is the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the sufficiency, and he is the superior one over all the Old Testament sacrificial system. So what I want you to do is I want you to get in your mind the Jewish mentality about how they had been ingrained for for generations in the sacrificial system of offering the blood of animals so that their sin could be temporarily cleansed, not wiped away, but temporarily cleansed. And, and they, so they offered these blood sacrifices again and again and again. This was the command of God, a new blood sacrifice every day. The whole Jewish system was a bloody sacrificial system. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's saying, he's teaching us that Christ is superior and sufficient and he is the satisfaction of everything that the Old Testament Jewish pointed toward. That is the shadow. Christ is the reality. Are you tracking with me? So the writer of Hebrews, by the time you come to chapter 10 and verse 14, has been teaching about the superiority of Christ over every religious system. And particularly, verse 14 teaches us that the one sacrifice of Christ makes his people perfect forever. Would you put that up on the screen there? The one sacrifice of Christ makes his people perfect forever, even as they are being made holy 
in this life. Now, my hope is that by the time you walk out of here today, you're going to have this verse memorized. So we're going to work a little bit together. This is like a Bible study and a memorize the scripture time, okay? okay. Not like you have a lot of choice, but, well, you can. You can fold your arms and say, I ain't going to do it. God have mercy on your sin-sick soul if you do that. So what I want you to do is I want you to be thinking this verse when you walk out of here because the only way that it will be a life-changing verse for you is if it's buried in your understanding and you remember it. Are you still with me? This is why you study the Bible on your own and you don't depend on the pastor for every meal. Amen? Amen. Nobody said amen to that one. Okay. So here's the verse. By one sacrifice, say it with me, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Say it again. By one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's pretty simple and incredible. The first time I read that, I thought, really? And then it began to dawn on me. Why don't I have a sense of any kind of security at all? And I began to understand the reason. It took me years to understand the reason. And the reason was because I was over here thinking about how I was behaving I was deeply entrenched in how, in my behavior, in my performance. And my performance was really not very good. And the more I learned about Jesus and the holiness of Jesus and how we're supposed to be like Jesus, the more insecure I felt and the more how my behavior didn't mix up with or match well with the behavior of Jesus. And I thought I'm, then it must not be true for me. Are you, are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? So I was focusing on my behavior, and I realized that the Word of God never starts us there. Never starts us there. It always starts us here. By one sacrifice. What's that? Jesus on the cross, of course. He has made perfect forever. Really? Those who are being made holy. Three things. Say it with me again. By one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Let's do it again. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Now, the only way that we can grasp this fully is to look at it a phrase at a time. So I want you to focus with me on the first phrase. By one sacrifice. One sacrifice. That is a word that the writer of Hebrews emphasizes again and again and again, one and once and once for all. And I want to show this to you so because I want you to know it comes right out of the Word of God. This is a Bible study. Are you still okay? Okay, so take your Bible and turn back to chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. And I just want you to see how many times the writer of Hebrews focuses on the word one and once and once for all. And then I want you to think about why he does that. Uh, Let's go back to chapter 9. Let's look at verse 12. Here, the writer is comparing the Old Testament high priest with Jesus as the fulfillment high priest. That the high priest of the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming as the high priest. The final high priest. So he says in Hebrews 9, 12, He did not enter, that is Jesus did not enter into the holy place, By means of the blood of goats and calves, he didn't have animal blood, Jesus didn't, but he entered the most holy place where God's throne is. See the word? 
once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The picture the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus entered into the very presence of holy God with his own blood as a sacrifice. That's the picture he wants us to have because that's the picture of the Old Testament. The high priest coming into the Holy of Holies with the blood of an animal. But the writer is saying, no, the blood of Jesus enters into the very presence of God, not into a physical temple. Go down to verse um, 26 of Hebrews 9. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. How many times was Jesus crucified? Once. Once for all. Do you see it? Is it important? Once? One sacrifice? Go down to verse 28, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And now it begins to be clear in the mind of the Jewish reader that Jesus came once to bear sin and will come again. And you get this because you understand the old and the new covenant. But for them, it was like news. Whoa. Turn over to chapter 10. Look at verse um, 10, Hebrews 10.10. And by that will, that is the will of Almighty God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now you may be thinking, well, uh, why... Why does he keep saying one, once, once for all? What's the point of once? Because once is enough. Once is more, one time is more than enough. Why? Because this is not the blood of an animal. This is the blood of the Son of God. This is divine blood. This is why Jesus came, why he is the Son of Man and the Son of God. This is why he is the one that John the Baptist looked at. You remember he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A Lamb of God is coming and he's not going to just roll the sin ahead a year. He's going to take it away. And by one sacrifice, he's going to accomplish that. All these repeated sacrifices, this continual offering of blood sacrifice is going to come to a close because the one sacrifice that is the fulfillment of the whole picture has now come. And when that happens, it brings people into a permanent state of salvation. It brings people into a permanent state of completeness in salvation because of the power of the one sacrifice. By one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If I'm over here and I'm thinking, God is trying to make me holy and I'm not doing very well, and if I think about that and I try to reason back to the cross, I begin thinking, maybe I didn't really believe. Maybe it's not really true. And I have all kinds of problems. But if I plant my feet firmly in what the Word of God says, it is by one sacrifice. If you start there... Everything else becomes possible. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You've got to know where to start and where do we start. That's why the, these Christian people keep focusing on the cross of Jesus. That's why you do something like this. 
That's why we take the Lord's Supper together and we remember the body and the blood of Jesus because the cross is the very center. Jesus is the center and his sacrifice. It is the value of the infinite value of the blood of the Son of God who is lifted up between sinful man and holy God. He is the perfect sacrifice. And if he is the perfect sacrifice, then it can only be done once, and that once is more than sufficient. Nothing else is needed. God can do nothing more. And that's the message of the writing of Hebrews, that God can do nothing more than he's already done. And people misinterpret that and think, well, you're going to lose it all. And But that's not the message. The message is God doesn't do any more than that because that one sacrifice is enough. And it is a sacrifice. I remind you again that Christmas never saves anyone. You know that, don't you? I mean, we celebrate Christmas, and rightly so. It's a good thing to do because it's a reminder that the Savior has come. Joy to the world, the Savior has come. But Christmas doesn't save anyone. The miracles of Jesus don't save anyone. Right? The perfect teaching of Jesus doesn't save us. You know, the perfect life of Jesus doesn't save us what saves us by one sacrifice that's where we begin so that's the first thing so say it with me by one sacrifice by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever he has made perfect forever by one sacrifice say it with me by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever made perfect forever I don't know how you respond to that, but the first time I read that, I thought, yeah, I don't think so. I I don't know what word you stumble over in that little phrase. You know know the one I stumbled over? Perfect. The forever thing I like, the perfect part, not so much, right? Perfect. Well, that's when you have to study it a little bit and you have to go back and say, what does the word that is translated perfect mean? Some of your Bibles translate it sanctified or perfected for all time. The word is a little difficult for us to, to grasp because we use the word perfect to mean everything is perfect about me. And that's not what that word means. That word, it literally is the idea if it is finished. It, is, it has been brought to completion and therefore it is finished. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, by one sacrifice, he has brought us to completion. He has finished. But we know there's still more to go, but something is finished. What's finished? Now, now you begin to see that by the power of this one sacrifice, God has done something for us and in us that we could never have even understood And this is one of the great miracles of when you first become a Christian, you realize that he did a whole bunch of stuff for you you, when you were born again that you had no idea he had done. And then you begin to discover, whoa, do you know that not only are my my sins forgiven, but I am, I'm a Christian now. Oh, Christian. Hmm. We might want to rethink that word in the days ahead, Christian. It's getting more and more confusing. I think it is. Around the world. You travel very much around the world. The word Christian is getting really confusing to people. They're not sure what it is, really. 
Christians are doing this and the Christians are doing that. I prefer to use the word follower of Christ or disciple of Christ or a follower of the way. When you read Paul's writings, one of the, one of the interesting things about Paul is that Paul never wrote the word Christian. I think he did that on purpose. Now, nothing wrong with Christian as long as you know what you're talking about, right? It literally means Christ one. That's good. So, so what did Paul, how did Paul describe a Christian? What words did he use? You remember? Really simple, two words. In Christ, absolutely right, in Christ. He did it again and again and again. He talked about when you have been saved by grace through faith, God places you in Christ. And he, boy, he just, I mean, he went on and on about this. This is what a real Christian is, someone who is in Christ. And then he added to it, and Christ in you. So this perfect thing is not about behavior. It's not about sinlessness. It's about what you have become because of the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When you, by grace through faith, receive Christ, you know what happens? You actually receive Christ. We talk about that. You can receive Christ. Well, guess what? When you received Christ, you received Christ. He came into you. Do you believe this? It makes you different from a whole lot of people if you believe that. And a little strange. If you believe Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Really? What? Who am I? I am in Christ. What does that mean? It means you've been taken out of the sphere and the control and the domination of an old life and you've been placed inside of a new Savior. You have actually become in the Master. And this is why Jesus said it's finished. When Jesus was on the cross and he says it is finished, he's not just saying, I'm glad the suffering's over. He, he wasn't saying the, the end of the crucifixion and the suffering, is it's finished now. He was saying it is finished my suffering is now complete and this sacrifice is accomplished all of what the old testament pointed toward is now complete and the consequences the result of the power of the sacrifice of the blood of the savior has now accomplished what i what god my father intended it to accomplish when he sent me here it is the will of almighty god to do a work so complete that it stands forever it is the will of Almighty God to make you a new creation in Christ. When? When you die and go to heaven? This is where you say no. You're not a new creation when you die and go to heaven, right? You're a new creation when you are in Christ. Yes? You believe it? I mean, seriously. Do you really? Amen. Now, now listen to me. This is the glory of God at work here. This is God is, has come up with a system by where He gets all the glory and we don't. You've noticed this, right? And and this is about by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever. That is, He has made us complete in Christ. This exalts Jesus. This is what puts Jesus right at the center of all things. This is why we think Jesus is so fabulous because of what He has done. Not only what he has done, but what we are now become. We have been made holy 
by the blood of Jesus, verse 10 says. It was the will of Almighty God to establish those temple sacrifices, but it was all about foreshadowing something that would be perfect, that would reach a perfect conclusion, that would change the ones who worship, where something would actually happen down deep within us and where we would be transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, where we would become sons and daughters of the Son of God, where now things are different. And so we behave different because we are different. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Oh, it takes some faith to believe that. One, it helps if you study it a little bit and try to get at what he meant. But he's not talking about performance. He's talking about relationship. It's like you were adopted into a new family. And you were given a new name. And your mom and your dad said to you, now you're a part of our family. And this is your name. And you will always belong to us. You will always be our child. For your whole, forever you will be our child. And of course, it would be good if you lived that way. But however you live, you belong to us. Are you with me here? And that's what this is about. That's why the Bible uses the term adoption and born again. It uses so many different terms to try to get at the same thing, to try to persuade us that by one sacrifice, something significant has happened to us. And the question is whether we're going to believe it or not. It's not a perfection and holiness about behavior. It's about a new relationship, a new identity, a new name. But the reality, of course, is is that we still are in this world and we still have our behavior and we're still wrestling with that. So Hebrews 10, 14 says, say it with me, by one sacrifice, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Whoa. Again, by one sacrifice. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Turn off the screen for a minute. Okay, test time. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's like you want us to know this. Oh, yeah. I want you to walk out of here thinking, this is, this is worthy of being memorized. I'm, I'm going to like write this down and put it on my dash or something. I'm going to remember this one. The Bible teaches us that there is a finished reality, not only to what Christ has done, but also to what it accomplishes for us. That the finished part was he finished it now, he is continuing that work. And if you read on in Hebrews chapter 10, you go on reading in verse 15, you read about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is testifying to us. And he reaches back into the Old Testament and finds Jeremiah 31. And he says, back in Jeremiah 31, God said there's going to be a new covenant coming. And when the new covenant comes, I'm going to not put my word and my ways on, on tablets of stone, but I'm going to write it in people's hearts. And I'm never going to remember their sin again. 
This was the new covenant. This was the incredible thing. My friends, the Jews thought about that for years and years, anticipating the time would come when God would write stuff in their heart, in our hearts, and not, uh, not a law on a tablet of stone. Okay, time for reality check with you. Has God written stuff in your heart? Do you have some of the law of God, the ways of God, the desires of God in your mind and in your heart? Is it there? And you can feel it sometimes, can't you? Right? And then he brings it back in your mind. And you realize this is, in, this is in me. This is part of me. This is who I am. And how great is that? This is, you're part of the new covenant. You're not having to go find a scroll somewhere. God's written stuff in your heart. He has brought about an inner change in you. And because of that inner change, then of course, then you need to be made holy. One more time. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. No, that's not a lie. That's not the last time. This is truly good news, isn't it? And we have difficulty believing it. Why do we have difficulty believing it? Because we're standing over here in our behavior. And we're looking around at ourselves and saying, I'm not doing everything I ought to be doing, and I wonder if it's really true, the one sacrifice. So let me ask you again, do you believe this one sacrifice thing? Really? There's only one? And it, and it accomplishes forgiveness forever? And is it really true that, true that when you're a new creation, you're placed in Christ and you're secure there forever and ever? Is it true? Is it true? And you know, of course, that he's still trying to make you holy. He's, we know, of course, that he's still trying to bring us into alignment with what he has, who he is and what he has done. It's who he is and what he has done. And so now he's saying, so, of course, live like that. Live like that. And, and you can feel that happening, too, in your life. So what should we do? We should believe the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We should believe the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is powerful and sufficient. It all comes back again one more time to what do you believe? Do you believe or not? Is the word of God trustworthy or not? Is what the world says more true, more real to you? Is your own thoughts, your own thinking, your own logic, your own ideas of reality, is that on what you're going to base your life or is the word of God true? Can you believe in the one sacrifice, that it's actually powerful and sufficient and nothing more can be added to it? The second thing we must do, we've got to trust then. We, we must trust that God has changed us deeply, completely, and forever. My friends, I grew up with people saying things to me like, we're just sinners saved by grace. I am a sinner saved by grace. Is that my real identity? Is that, is that who I am? I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Well, that's kind of dismal. Is that how God describes us? God never uses words like that. He never uses words like that to describe us. What kind of words does God use to describe you? Saint. God calls you a saint. It's called, it means holy one. God calls you my people. God calls you new creation in Christ. God calls you born again. 
God calls you redeemed. God calls you forgiven forever. God calls you chosen. God calls you brought near by the blood of the Lamb. God calls you made alive in Christ. God calls you loved by God. God calls you members of God's family. God calls you sanctified. God calls you called to be holy. And he's got more. This is our real identity. We ought to take the Lord's Supper together right now. And then I'm going to tell you a third thing this means. So, ushers, whenever you're ready, come ahead and serve us the bread and the cup, if you would. Can I ask you to just take it and hold it? And then if you're going to try to write down this third thing, you're going to have trouble. But get the recording or something. The third thing is this. We need to glorify God then by cooperating with his continuing work to complete what he has already begun. This is how we glorify God. By cooperating with him in what he has already done for us. God is glorified by one sacrifice. God is glorified by putting us in Christ and making us perfect in his sight forever. And God is glorified by continuing to make us holy. And you can feel that. You can feel each of these as you trust in your God. You don't ignore your weakness. That was one of the confusing things that I thought was, well, if I really believe that I am made perfect forever and I'm on my way to heaven, then people would say, well, then you'll just do whatever you want. And that was not my experience. When I really began to understand some of the grace of God, I thought, oh, God, I want to be like you called me to be. And someone said something to me a long time ago that I've never forgot. He said, Jesus now lives in us to give to us what he accomplished for us. Jesus now lives in us to give to us what he accomplished for us. This is the glory of God, my friends. So again, you can do this while you're receiving the bread and the cup. Say it with me. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now look at the bread and the cup in your hand. Don't eat them yet. And say it again with me. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Why do you think Jesus said to do this to remember me? Are we just supposed to have like this somber time when we remember he suffered and died for us? Sometimes it is somber. Rightly so. But my personal opinion, it should be a triumphant time. When you think to yourself one more time, buy one sacrifice, and I'm holding the bread and the cup in my hand, and this is what he gave to me to remind me about this. And he said, whenever you gather together, do this. So do it how many times? Again and again and again. We don't sacrifice the blood of an animal because there is one sacrifice that accomplished that. But what do we do? We remember. And we believe again. We remember and we believe again. So I'm asking you, my friends, do you believe it? Do you believe one sacrifice? I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, you believe that 
somebody who died 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross forgives your sin today and sends you on your way to heaven. And they say it like mockingly. And I think to myself, absolutely right. Because it is by one sacrifice he has made me perfect forever, even as he is making me holy. Do you see this? My heart's desire is that you'll walk out of here thinking, by one sacrifice, he has made me perfect forever. Oh, and he's making me holy to agree with what he has done. And so we stand not in confidence in our behavior. We stand in confidence in the one sacrifice and the miraculous new birth that makes us perfect, complete forever because it is truly finished. This is an amazing, grace-filled reality of which you are the beneficiary because of your master. Do you have the bread in your hand? Do you believe that he came in the flesh for you and took upon himself humanity so that he could be the sin-bearer, so he could take away the sin of the world, my sin forever? Do you believe in one sacrifice? Do you? And let's eat the bread. You remember what he said about the, the cup? This is the covenant, or this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. The old Bible translation says, for the remission of sin. It means eradication. It means for, forgiven forever. Where God does not remember. That always confused me. How can God never forget anything and yet not forget, not remember my sin? Can that be true? Sounds like a choice he has made. Because the sin is forgiven. Do you believe it? That it is by the blood? Then drink the cup. This is actually quite amazing. It's beautiful. It's life-changing. It's the greatest good news I could ever think of. When you think of John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I hope step 2 will be that you will say to yourself, say it with me, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. My friends, this is you and me. Thank God. Let's pray and then we're going to sing a song of worship and be on our way. Father, thank you for your grace to us. What an incredible God you are to think of a plan like this. What a God of love, a God willing to sacrifice, a God willing to teach us what love is, that it's a choice and a sacrifice that often involves great pain and struggle and yet brings about great joy. Our Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Now as we're looking into a new year, we realize, Father, we know that there's just not much security in the world today. And we could be fearful. 
Father, we believe there is by one sacrifice that you have made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And we bask in it. Help us to believe you today and this week and in the coming year. Whatever happens, let us be found in Christ and trusting him and serving him. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.